I'm Olivia Newton-John, Wayne Newton's Apple. And I'm the chairman of the Steely Dan Friendship Club. And welcome to Planet of the Meerkats. And for our listeners, I'd just like to point out that unplanned, Neil and I both wore Steely Dan t-shirts, so we must be feeling very uh, social today, because we've we've concluded that whenever we wear a Steely Dan t-shirt, we get approached and make friends. Well, I think that this, this shirt I'm wearing might be controversial, because it has a handgun in it, which is kind of odd to think of with the Steely Dan shirt, but it actually references the lyrics from Do It Again, which is off of Steely Dan's debut record, right? Was that off a of Camp by a Thrill? Yep, yep, that's the one where Donald Fagan didn't sing most of the songs. It, Which is just so kind of strange. Weird. Yeah. And did they have like a rotating cast of singers for that? Or was it one one other guy? I think it was mainly one other guy. Honestly, it's my least favorite Steely Dan album. <laughs> and did he get fired after that album? Is that what happened? Um, I don't know if he got fired so much as Donald Fagan was such a perfectionist that he got tired of explaining how he wanted the thing sung. Mm-hmm. So he uh, just was like, you know, screw it. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> yeah i feel like mean, thanos I feel like, at the end of the avengers <laughs> i feel like anyone who's like a, a creative genius probably has that moment where they're like i want to be collaborative but i also want this to be what my vision is <laughs> yeah exactly and so the Dave, people what, that he would bring in you know for i think all the studio musicians and stuff he would bring in he was very really uh anal about what they could uh you know, the flourishes and things they could add in. Like he really wanted things exactly how he wanted them. And, and for you, for your money, what is the best Steely Dan album where that vision is really realized? Asia. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's their best album. It's really good, but it's, I think that is as close to, they get to having their exact vision realized. They have a whole Mm -hmm. DVD documentary about it. And, you know, they bring in all these fantastic studio musicians and, you know, Everybody is just so honored if they're able to contribute a little a little flourish to the song and they just mm-hmm. dwell on it because, you know, everybody was really proud of the work they did there. So, Dave, what are we talking about today? We're talking about plagues then and now. Oh, man, this is a, a very timely topic, uh, but we're going to go we're going to go deep, right? We are. And we're also we're going to end on a discussion of, you know, what plagues may look like in the future. So before we get started, I want to talk about um, a, a plague of sorts that's that's going to descend upon half of this country within the next two months, and that's the Brood X cicadas, <laughs> which are going to emerge from the ground and uh, have like a, a two-month-long orgy. And I did a little reading on cicadas today. So there are 15 different broods in the eastern half of the U.S. that periodically emerge, and, and the broods emerge at different times. Uh, some are on 17-year cycles and some are on 13-year cycles. So basically, <laughs> they, the, the babies go into the ground and they're, they grow and are dormant for 17 years before they emerge and have sex, lay their eggs, and then die. <laughs> and while they're underground, the cicadas are basically just straight up chilling. They're sipping on plant juice. Um, they wait until the mood is laid back. Their mind on their money and their money on their mind. Money on their mind. <laughs> as, as my wife Emily said. 
sipping on gin and roots. <laughs> <laughs> the mood has to be right. It has to be 64 degrees in the soil. And then a big rain happens and the cicadas emerge. Um, I was in Nashville in 2011 when Brood 19 was coming out of the ground. And that one's on a 13-year cycle. I was there for a wedding and I was so excited because I had never seen the cicadas <laughs> before. And everyone was like, are you insane? It is terrifying. And they're everywhere and they're loud and they're a nuisance. And so honestly, it was like kind of a letdown because there weren't that many cicadas. So sex every 13 years sounds like your average human marriage. Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is uh, too real, Dave. <laughs> too real for the pod. So yeah, I mean, we are in the midst of a, of a plague, unfortunately. Hopefully winding down soon, although internationally, it's looking like that picture is complicated a bit. Dave, tell us a little bit about, about COVID-19. So COVID-19 is the coronavirus disease, and it's named 19 for the year 2019. Not as some conspiracy theorists said, because it was the 19th variant that was come up in a Chinese lab. And we've just conveniently decided to use their designation while not acknowledging that it came from a lab. <laughs> um, it's a SARS virus, so it's a, a respiratory disease, but it can spread through all sorts of things, you know, from a, a cough to diarrhea to... Uh, just breathing air. And one of the most dangering th dangerous things about it is you can have it, not have any symptoms and spread it, which makes it really difficult to contain. And I'd just like to point out that today, April 24th, 2021 is the one year anniversary from when the former guy uh, advised people to inject themselves with uh, disinfectant in order to, to keep themselves from getting sick from coronavirus. And I just like to say to our listeners, please do not do this. You will die. Mm -hmm. He said that, uh, you know, they will, would have failed if 200,000 people died. Well, at the end of a year, 500,000 people had died. Um, that number's since fallen off, which is, is good. Um, but COVID has killed more people than the Spanish flu did, um, which is really the antecedent outbreak. I always heard that the Spanish flu killed like 50 million people. Well, I, I think I might just be talking about in the U.S. Oh, in the U.S. Okay, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. Spanish yeah. flu killed. Yeah. Anyways. Um, I mean, there seems to be a lot of debate about whether, like, where COVID goes from here. I mean, if mm -hmm. you look, if you look at what's happening in India, that's terrifying. Um, you know, I think there's the potential for that to turn into, like, a horrible, horrible, you know, historically bad disaster, you know. Here, it you know the picture is looking rosier, but you know it's 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 not clear cut yet. Like if we're out of the woods on this, clearly we're not quite. Yeah, California is looking okay, and we've been steady with a low infection rate now for a while. I feel like everyone, to some extent, is a COVID expert now, which is sad. But I, I was talking with a friend yesterday, and um, you know he he works in the pharmaceutical industry, and he was. He was saying that, you know, it, it's kind of nice that people who never showed an interest before in vaccines are learning about how they work, um, it, which is great. Like people should be more engaged um, and know about the processes for these things. And, and more people knowing is going to create a, an environment where more people are comfortable taking them. Well, you know, one of the things I want to get to later in the show is, you know, information literacy, mm -hmm. educating yourself as much as possible from trustworthy and varied news news sources is so important to understanding the world yeah yeah um, right right now i'm i just started reading a, a biography of jennifer doudna who was one of the crispr pioneers mm -hmm. and uh using it for uh genetic editing and you know when when covid hit 
right before all the lockdown started, she convened a meeting of all of these university professors and researchers and basically said, we need to figure out how to use uh, CRISPR to fight COVID. Mm-hmm. And that is where these mRNA vaccines, which I believe I, I got the Pfizer one. You got mm-hmm. Pfizer as well. I got Pfizer. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty amazing that we were able to engineer vaccines as quickly as possible. I mean, mm-hmm. the best case scenarios I was hearing wouldn't have been for another six months. I mean, this is a real world test of mRNA technology as it pertains to delivering vaccines. So I would say so far uh, it's a success and hopefully we see you know, this technology being used in, in many more varied ways. So another plague I wanted to talk about was the biblical plague, uh-huh. which included uh, blood, lice, flies, livestock pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. And I got to say, the biblical plagues are pretty damn terrifying. Yeah, man. I do not want a lice plague. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so you have the darkness plague, right? And... When, when God programmed his, his angel to come down and kill all the firstborns, he didn't tell them, oh, you know, just avoid my, my homies, the Hebrews. He said, look for anybody who has blood on the door. So anybody who put blood above their door was bypassed, was passed over by this plague. Mm-hmm. And everybody else had their firstborns killed. And I believe that included animals. So they didn't have a chance. And like, you know, you just think about this plague of darkness going from house to house looking for blood on the door. You know, it's it's really rudimentary. <laughs> Man, has anyone made a horror movie around this concept? I don't know. They should. Someone should. It's pretty good. <laughs> Whoever wrote that book really <laughs> <laughs> should really start shopping that screenplay around. <laughs> I feel like, you know, the most famous of all plagues, the bubonic, you know, takes up a lot of the uh, the imagination of people when they think of plagues and and. Um, it really, I think, has earned that title. It was straight up terrifying. May have killed half the world's population. And that's just nuts. I mean, I can see how that seemed like the apocalypse to people. Mm-hmm. Like literally half the people you know are dead. I mean, we're freaking out at a death rate of like 1% to 2% with mm-hmm. coronavirus. And like mm-hmm. half the people, and I can't even imagine that. Like half of my family gone. Half of the community gone. And there were, there were three different waves of it. The third wave was starting up in London in 60, 1666. And while it was getting going, Isaac Newton was in quarantine. And that's where he came up with some of his most famous, famous theories were in quarantine. So don't you feel bad for not doing more during quarantine? <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was a, a, a fire that swept through the slums and ended up killing all of the the carriers of it and stopping it in its tracks so that fire was in in a way a blessing so what was the timing of the first and second waves like how much time elapsed between those you know i don't know i think it was it was quite a while i mean things didn't move nearly as fast i didn't note down the dates of um, all three but i know that it was several hundred years that the plague was really ravaging so the seventh seal the famous movie by ingmar bergman is about a knight returning from the Crusades to Sweden, and the bubonic plague is kind of just starting. Mm-hmm. And I think, I believe that is set in the late 1300s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're talking about something that, you know, for the span of three, 400 years is kind of a lingering concern, which is <laughs> when you think about us and, and the year of sort of inconvenience and discomfort um, <laughs> that we're going through, 
you think, oh man, 400 years, damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, the, the, the movie is surprisingly kind of like nihilistic. That guy gets home and he's disgusted with the crusade he was just on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the first things he sees is one of the priests that sent him on the crusade is out and has become a thief and is going around mm-hmm. and just doing petty theft. And, you know, like the, the, his home, when he comes back to it is, you know, there's, there's rapes and roving band of like religious bands of religious zealots just going around and like whipping themselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a miserable, miserable place. Mm-hmm. I think the movie paints an interesting picture of just the, um, like, I know that there's some anachronisms in it, but it paints a really interesting picture of just, you can see how the Renaissance and enlightenment that came after this period in the <laughs> middle ages was just, you can see why it was inspiring and sort mm-hmm. of why it led to, to the sort of like feeling of discovery and optimism um, because it, things had gotten, yeah, pretty, pretty damn dire. <laughs> um and at the end of the movie like almost all the main characters die of the plague there's a family Mm -hmm. who he manages to save from the angel of death who's following him around Mm -hmm. uh literally following him around and forcing him to play the the most high stakes chess game i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) and he manages to get the people to like go, go on their own way and avoid being killed by the angel of death. And he and his wife and all the other people he's traveling with die. And then the movie ends with them uh, doing the dance of death up on a mountaintop, which, you know, (laughs) dance of death sounds kind of, you know, makes it sound a little fun at least. (laughs) The the dance macabre. (laughs) Before we get, before we leave the bubonic plague, I just wanted to do a shout out to, Plague Doctors, which have seen a resurgence in popularity. My my daughter is very much into Plague Doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and she well, has the a plague. is iconic, right? Yeah. They stuffed some scented stuff in the nose so they didn't have to smell all the the nastiness from the body. I mean, definitely in the top five masks of all time. I'm trying to think. There's uh, probably uh, Freddy Krueger, right? <laughs> no, he didn't plague have a doctors mask. For, oh, he didn't? Oh, wait, no. Oh, uh, uh, Jason. Michael Myers. Michael, Michael Jason, Myers, yeah. yeah, Jason, Michael Myers, <laughs> Plague Doctors, uh, Jim Carrey's The Mask. I don't know. I'm, I'm grasping for straws now. <laughs> Masking tape. <laughs> yes, good one. That's amazing. So um, you have some uh, musical references to plagues you wanted to go over. Yeah, so I tried to put together a top five musical references references to plagues or pathogens, and um, I broke this down. I've got a musician, a song an album, a band, and a lyric. So coming in at number five is Rat Scabies, real name Christopher Miller, who's the drummer for The Damned. Uh, and they had the distinction of being the first British punk band to release a single, to tour the US, and to release an album. And I really don't know much about Christopher Miller, but Rat Scabies is just an epic name. Um, <laughs> and I've always wondered, like, is Rat Scabies a strain of scabies, or is it a rat that has scabies? <laughs> I think that's it, up for debate. It, it sounds like a, a name that Chris Pratt's character would have given to his band in Parks and Recreation. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> Go from Mouse Rat totally. to Rat Scabies. Coming in number four the, in the song category is Red Tide by Nico Case. And the song's not really about red tides. Like it's, you know, it's a beautiful song. And if you read the lyrics, it's, it's really evocative. 
but red tides are algal blooms that um, mm -hmm. form in saltwater and they can sometimes be toxic to humans and other wildlife, but um, they can be caused by, by a wide range of things, many mm -hmm. of which are natural, but usually it's uh, like livestock waste runoff or mm -hmm. fertilizer runoff. And they kill fish, but mollusks um, are like immune to it. But the toxins within the algae will get into the fatty tissues of the mollusks. So that's why there's like a lot of tests done when crab season comes about, because mm -hmm. if humans eat the, you know, poisoned crab, they'll die which is obviously not a good outcome. Oh, sorry. So Blessing. Nico Case seems like a really awesome person. Uh, and do you follow her on Twitter? I do. Once I tweeted at her about risk and she tweeted back and we had a little short Twitter conversation about nice. from Chaka <laughs> and <laughs> Siam. And uh, yeah, so yeah, Nico Case is awesome. Dude, she's so great. Um, what I think she was the last concert I went to before COVID. I would love to go uh, to a Nico maybe. Case concert. Oh man, we're doing it. Coming in at number three, the in the album category is "Locust Abortion Technician" by the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> now, the Butthole Surfers had some mainstream recognition in the '90s. They had the song "Pepper" off of the album "Electric Larry Land," which I'm sure mm -hmm. you remember. We were in high school. Oh yeah, um, that was like and, got a lot of airplay. And I, I thought that they were like a new band in the '90s. I didn't really pay a lot of attention. I wasn't like going deep on the butthole surfers but that was actually their seventh album they'd been around since 81 um oh, they wow. kind of got their big break um one of their early shows they were playing in san francisco and jello biafra from the dead kennedys saw them and really liked them and kind of uh facilitated them going into the studio to make their first album um kurt cobain was a huge fan and he actually met courtney love at a butthole surfers concert that's awesome uh, in 1991 well awesome depending on whether you believe that she killed kurt cobain <laughs> In which case, it may not be awesome at all. <laughs> oh man, I don't, I don't per personally believe that uh, conspiracy theory, but somehow <laughs> that's still hanging on out there. Um, <laughs> so, Locust Abortion Technician was their third album, and some would say their best. Um, the first song is called "Sweat Loaf," and it opens with a kid asking his dad, "Daddy, what does regret mean?" And the dad <laughs> responds, "Well, son, the funny thing about regret is that it's better to regret something." you have done than to regret something that you haven't done. And by the way, if you see your mom this weekend, you be sure and tell her Satan, Satan, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would like it, Dave. Oh man. I've been totally listening to that with my kids this weekend. Uh, coming in at number two in the band category is the germs. Um, LA punk band fronted by Darby crash who famously committed suicide through intentional heroin overdose. He had a suicide pact with a friend, and that friend survived. Um, founding member of the Germs, Pat Smear, went on to become famous uh, as a touring member of Nirvana and then later became a member of the Foo Fighters. Wow. And uh, Belinda Carlisle, who at the time went by the name Dottie Danger. Which she should have kept that name. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> she was a drummer for a while in the Germs, but never actually got to play a show with them because she had mono. Um, she obviously went on to become famous as the front woman of the Go-Go's. Should have been kissing so many people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the kissing disease. Did you ever have that in high school? I did, definitely did not. <laughs> I, I did not have it. No, I didn't. I didn't kiss very many people. In high Wasn't school. doing a lot of kissing. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, in in uh, in first place as a lyric, "Gin and Juice," the line about bubonic chronic. 
Released on January 15th, 1994, Gin and Juice was the second single from Snoop's album, the Do- uh, not The Doggy Style. Doggy <laughs> Style. Uh, the chorus is sung by David Ruffin Jr., who's the son of David Ruffin from The Temptations. Um, and in the oh, video, wow. in the video, Snoop wears two extremely dope hockey jerseys. One is a Pittsburgh Penguins one with Gin and Juice on the nameplate. And the second is uh, this is a Springfield Indians jersey, which is an AH. AHL team out of Springfield, Massachusetts. And the AHL is like the feeder league to the NHL. Uh, th- that team now goes by the Thunderbirds. So applauding them for changing their name. It's Snoop Dogg, of course, being the unholy offspring of a dog and an animated skeleton from the Bubonic Plague <laughs> Times. <laughs> oh, that's so true. I didn't know that fact, Dave. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> that's verified. That's science for you. And bubonic chronic, of course, is a hybrid strain of of uh, marijuana that, as Snoop will admit, gets you very, very high. I'm going to try to wrap this, Dave. <laughs> Later on that day, my homie Dr. Dre came through with a gang of tank array and a fat-ass J of some bubonic chronic that made me choke. Shit, this ain't no joke. I'm, I mean, I could keep going, but I'm going to save the listeners. The... You, you remember when I, I wrapped the... Uh... The discarded lines from my best man speech at your rehearsal dinner. <laughs> I do remember that. And I know we have it on video, and I I feel like I, I had a hard drive break, and I hope I didn't lose that video. But <laughs> I got to find it so we can put that on the website. I, I hope you lost it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it, Dave. I'll find it. So uh, let's talk about the super flu. I mean, the super flu is still something that's been in fiction. You know, there's been a lot of famous stories about it. They recently did a a mini series of The Stand based on the book by Stephen King. So I liked the casting of Randall Flagg. It was Alexander Sarsgaard. And some of the other casting was good. Uh, I I think they suffered because they cut right to the plague. And the book really has a lot of lead up to it. A quarter Mm -hmm. of the book is about the lead up to it. And Mm -hmm. I always thought that was a really interesting part. And they kind of cut it out. They get straight to the chase. The 1994 still, version was like, that was a big, that miniseries was a big deal. Was it Gary Sinise that played Randall Flagg? No, he played um, Stu Redman, one of the heroes. Okay. And uh, Jamie Sheridan played Randall Flagg, who went on to wear an eye patch on Law and Order uh, Criminal Intent. <laughs> <laughs> good knowledge. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, he he was quite good. I think he's, he's still my preferred flag. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Outbreak which came out in the 90s and has one of the, I think, for my money, most terrifying scenes in movies because there's a, a part where somebody's infected with this super flu, which comes from a monkey in a lab that escapes. And he goes to a movie and he sneezes and the camera follows around the snot droplets as they land in people's popcorn and get breathed no. people in the theater. Uh. <laughs> that's, and, too, that's just too much. <laughs> And then there's 12 Monkeys uh, starring Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt, who was kind of atypically cast in that movie, but did a great mm-hmm. job as a mental patient. And I think one of the takes, best pit, pit roles there is for sure. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic in that. And, you know, Bruce Willis is sent back in time to investigate the origins of a plague that has killed almost everybody on the planet. And the mm-hmm. only surviving members are people who are underground. And. The movie's actually based off a French movie, and I can't remember like the, the name. Like the Jetty? 
the jetty the jetty yeah. yeah and which is essentially a, a series of pictures that are shown on the screen to tell the story and they flesh that out and when he goes back in time he basically discovers that he's the cause <laughs> oh man him going back in time is the cause and then there's uh the plague from outer space in andromeda strain which is quite a good book and a good movie mm-hmm. by michael Crichton. The, our was that favorite his first author. novel uh no his first novel was uh, about a doctor it was like called 12 patients or something okay but you know, I remember Michael Crichton was like our favorite author when we were. Thinking. Oh yeah, we were obsessed. <laughs> like, oh, dude, check out Sphere; it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we had all we had the paperbacks of uh, Jurassic Park, Sphere, Congo, and Andromeda Strain. I think that was as far as we got, and then we got bored. Yeah, you might have gone further. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've read most of his stuff now. Um, he got a little anti-science for me. And then there's Steven Soderbergh's movie Contagion, which I haven't actually seen, but I know Gwyneth Paltrow dies, so it can't be all bad. Oh, damn. Woo! <laughs> Look at this anti-goop fervor right now. <laughs> Man, you can't kill Pepper Potts. <laughs> I wanted to make sure we touched on malaria, because it's killed more than every other cause combined in human history. Dude. Possibly 50 billion people have died of malaria, which is and, half of all humans that have ever lived. That's nuts. And it's amazing that like from a big, I know, I know for years, researchers have been working on, um, you know, various ways to attack this problem. I know vaccines, um, so you're trying to distribute, uh, you know, shots and medicines, which can be, you know, dangerous in other ways. Uh, mm-hmm. I just read, they're looking at, you know, you know, there's the sort of genetic using CRISPR and genetic sequencing to try to, um, you know, bioengineer mosquitoes that will be able mm-hmm. to make certain strains of mosquitoes extinct, not strains, but certain species of mosqu- mosquitoes extinct. Um, but thus far, I mean, nothing seems to really be solving the, the probably the greatest threat to mankind <laughs> that there is. Well, I mean, and the thing is, too, like, we don't see malaria much in uh, like first world highly highly developed societies. You know, we have, you know, the, the things that really eliminate the plague are sort of getting rid of the wilderness, right? Mm -hmm. Draining literally draining the swamps. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's really hard to get from sort of a pre-industrial society to that stage. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one to three million die per year of malaria. And it kills 3,000 kids a day in Africa, which just blows my mind. But it's it's millions of years old. They found fossils in the, what's DR mean? <laughs> Dominican Republic? Yes, they found fossils in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> so stupid notes. <laughs> they found oh, fossils man. in the Dominican Republic millions of years old. They had uh, malaria. We're outlawing uh, abbreviations in the notes, Dave. Oh f. <laughs> so there's like there's a ton of uh, of animal plagues and Australia comes to mind because Australia is like the <laughs> the just the the hotbed of animal plagues. So yeah, they've had cane toads, rabbits, emus, you know. It's one of those continents where the development of the continent and the bring the bringing of people and animals from elsewhere 
that were not native to that continent has really ravaged things. There was a great emu war in 1932 where these there was 20,000 emu, emus that would migrate between the interior and the coast. Mm-hmm. And they were attacking crops and basically like on their on their migration pattern we're like oh this place is great there's water and food we don't have to go all the way to the coast the military <laughs> unsuccessfully tried to herd the emus but and that they uh they're apparently really hard to shoot <laughs> because because they they have like uh, like nice footwork like they're like i guess like juking <laughs> <laughs> like oh yeah uh, so they use 2,500 rounds of ammunition, ammunition, uh, and these guns called Lewis guns, which were a type of machine gun, and they only killed 50 emus. Oh my god! So they're getting made fun of in the newspapers, so they withdrew. So then the farmers took it on and they started to have some success. So the military came back and they killed a thousand birds with 10,000 rounds. But you'll notice a thousand is a lot less than 20,000. The news persisted, and the farmers ended up just building better fences, which probably should have been the answer at the beginning. Probably would have been a lot cheaper. <laughs> and I pride myself on bird knowledge, but with with the emu, like the only way I can describe it is is like a slightly smaller version of an ostrich. Yes. Is that true? I think that's true. Is there any other distinguishing feature to it? Um, I think the the body structure is slightly different. Ostriches mm-hmm. stand up a little bit straighter. Emus are kind of hunched. But it's got the cartoon legs and the cartoon neck, and it's got like like a real showy little abdomen, right? And it can just like wiggle. And I mean, that's how I, it can. Honestly, if I was fighting emus, I would get a motorcycle and a samurai sword, <laughs> <laughs> and just ride the motorcycle along with the herd and slice their heads off. That sounds like some Walking Dead shit. Like that's like, that's like going, I'm going Michonne on them. Yeah. Like the writers of The Walking Dead are like, all right. We got three days. We need 20,000 ideas of how to kill a zombie. Any, <laughs> anything goes. Just make it weird as shit, and we'll run it on the air. So would you? Uh, uh, what, what would your cho- weapon of choice be in the zombie apocalypse? I'm thinking baseball bat. It doesn't get blunt. Get a nice aluminum baseball bat. Mm-hmm. Um, head mm-hmm. trauma, you know, doesn't run out of mm-hmm. ammunition. Yeah, you got to get close, but, you know, as long as you're not tired... The problem with the baseball bat is like in close quarters, if there's a lot of them, you can't really, I think, I think that with a, with a crowd, you can't do much. Um, You can, you can take out two or three, but then you're going to get overwhelmed. (laughs) Well, and if you don't die, you're going to look like Barry Bonds after like two months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What about mosquitoes? Can, are mosquitoes effective against zombies? (laughs) We should create an anti- zombie strain of malaria and release it nothing could go wrong there i guess the fictitious menace of zombies i just like i'm just thinking of like uh like a a more practical version of the little whistling birds the mandalorian uses like yes how do you invent that thing but to be able to use it over and over again that's the coolest weapon okay so uh then there's the rabbits in australia and uh they were european rabbits and they came from a single guy we're going to call this guy out by name because, you know, he's an asshole. Thomas Austin. Yeah, he released thanks, Tom. Yeah. He released 24 rabbits for hunting in 1859 and apparently was not a very good hunter because at least two survived. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, in fairness, like, if you got a species where two of them can produce, like, a billion in, you know, the span of 100 years, <laughs> uh, it's kind of not fair. So the, the myxomatosis virus was engineered to kill rabbits. 
And they released it in 1950, too early before it had been perfected. And it did its job. It killed 95% of the population. But then that left 5% of super-resistant mega rabbits, which then bred, and now everybody's all the rabbits are immune to it. So Mixomatosis, I believe, is a song off of Radiohead's um, Hail to the Thief album. Nice. So I'm going to skip forward to just talking about viruses because I wanted to make sure we talked about rabies and how terrifying rabies is. Okay. Um, Hit me with your rabies knowledge. So it's... If you if it isn't treated in time, it's deadly one hundred percent of the time. Wow, which just is terrifying. And <laughs> if you if you get to the point where you're symptomatic, it's too late. So if you get bit by an animal, either how much time do you have? Uh, you know, it's a few days. So okay, but if you get bit by like an animal, you want to make sure you go like a an animal that you don't know whether it has rabies or not. You want to make sure you mm-hmm. go to the doctor and and you get your vaccine. There's a terrifying movie on the internet um, that shows a guy slowly dying of rabies and they just recorded it. And it's like, you become terrified. It's, it's not that dramatic. Like he's not out of bed, terrified of water and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's just slowly dying and you just watch his eyes and it's terrifying. I'm definitely not going to watch that Dave. <laughs> oh, but I'm going <laughs> to put a link to it. I mean, it's not a review that <laughs> I'm going to put a link to it on our website. So you have to watch it. Jesus. <laughs> um, and then smallpox. So there's a great oh. book about smallpox called Demon in the Freezer by Richard Preston. Mm-hmm. And, you know, smallpox, we were able to eradicate it. It's one of the the big successes in fighting diseases ever. Mm-hmm. Well, it took a worldwide effort, which, you know, was the coordination that that took to to actually successfully do that is incredible. Yeah, there was a guy named Dr. William uh, Fagey, mm-hmm. and he was out in Africa fighting smallpox and he came up Mm -hmm. with this technique of uh surveillance containment so he said you know if a house is burning you don't just put water on the house that's burning you put it on the house that's burning plus the houses around it so if there was a smallpox pox outbreak they would rush out and they would inoculate the village using the smallpox vaccine and you know every time that there was a case of the smallpox they would just and uh they would they would have people watching for these these cases and then they would inoculate everybody around around mm-hmm. that, and they were able to to get rid of it in Africa. And then there, were, but there was an even bigger effort in India, and they were really skeptical. It took a lot of convincing for him to to do this. And they would do, use this thing called ring vaccination, where they would mm-hmm. vaccinate everybody in a ring around where the case was. Mm-hmm. And you know, this was killing millions of people. And the last reported case of smallpox in the wild was in 1978. And it's just a great example of. You know, we can do whatever we set our minds to, you know, it frustrates when people throw their hands up like global warming is an engineering problem. There's no reason Mm -hmm. why we can't fight this and uh, come out of it stronger. We just have to have the political will. But in, you know, 500 people died of smallpox in the century, 500 million people died of smallpox Mm -hmm. in the century before it was eradicated. And in 2014, they found a box of vials of smallpox in an FDA storage room. And the staff were like, mm. and they taped up the box with some packing tape and brought it in and like set it on the supervisor's desk and was like, hey, look what we found. Oh my God. <laughs> one, one, of the, uh, one of the vials inside had been breached. And so uh, it could have it been used to spread. But the last two samples are on a shelf in Russia and at the CDC uh, in the US. It, it reminds me, I mean, obviously 
on a different scale, but it reminds me of kind of like going back to talking about nukes mm-hmm. and there, there, you know, examples of where like, you just think we got, we get so lucky sometimes mm-hmm. like <laughs> there, there's just like, sometimes we, through our negligence or carelessness, we create the conditions for our own demise and we just get lucky that it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And then to go back to Ebola slash Marburg virus, um, mm-hmm. Richard Preston has also written a couple books about this. He wrote The Hot Zone and Crisis in the Red Zone. And one of the reasons why it's not as terrifying to me as smallpox pox is it doesn't mm-hmm. spread as well. So yeah. in order to really catch it. Kills it kills people too fast, right? It kills people too fast. And you have to get it through like interaction with bodily, bodily fluids from the person who died. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it the symptoms are terrifying. It, it's a type of hemorrhagic fever and it liquefies your insides and you have mm-hmm. violent vomiting of blood. Um, depending on the variant you have, the mortality can be between 20 and 90%. Typically a third survive with medical attention. Um, a third <laughs> uh, likely comes from bats. There is uh, these ele- things called elephant caves and they're called that mm-hmm. because they have lots of salt and phosphorus. And the elephants will go there and basically like, like lick the walls and, and mm-hmm. yeah. And there's a cave called the Katoom Caves in Kenya. And in 1980, an infected a Frenchman and a Danish boy. And two strains of Marburg have been traced back to the those two people who caught it in mm-hmm. the cave. We're on the verge of a vaccine, which is amazing. But there's some problems with ceremonial burial practices in Africa. In Sierra Leone in 2014, there was a pharmacist, a woman who was very well respected by all these people in a bunch of villages. And she died of Ebola and they would, they washed her body and would then ceremonially wash themselves with the same water, like as a sign Mm -hmm. of respect. And of course, everybody caught Ebola from Mm -hmm. doing that. Uh, But Mm -hmm. we've had, you know, a bunch of outbreaks. There was outbreaks in 1975 and 95 in Zaire, 2000 in Uganda uh, 2014 in Sierra Leone, the Congo in 20, 2007, 2012, 2014, and again this year, Ecuador province in 2018 and 2020, and Guinea in 2021, mm-hmm. this year, that's still ongoing. And it's linked to bushmeat and deforestation. And you just think, you know, will it in some way become the sort of like nightmare virus that we all, you know, fear because mm-hmm. it has all the <laughs> it has all of the the ingredients there and we're just lucky that it kills i mean we're not lucky that it kills so fast but we're lucky that it has not become you know the 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 outbreak or the contagion mm-hmm. you know scenario i also want to touch on MRSA, which is this medically uh-huh. medicine resistant uh staph infections mm-hmm. which are just terrifying because mm-hmm. you think uh, staph infections they you know they're not that bad we just give you some antibiotics but yeah we uh what if the antibiotics don't work anymore? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's the nightmare scenario we're facing. Yeah. And it's more likely over time that that's going to happen. You know, we're going to have to mm-hmm. think about, you know, what are some ways we can mitigate that? And I don't know if we have a lot of answers right now. For my money, one of the most terrifying things is prion <laughs> diseases. No, mad cow is a prion mad disease. Mad cow. So I've actually like lost sleep over this. I'm like, what if that burger I just ate wasn't cooked all the way and it had a prion in it, that a, a, a wayward prion? Mm-hmm. So basically, it's caused by an abnormal prion protein, and if you ingest it, it can work its way up to the brain, clump, and it can cause changes in personality, hallucinations, muscle deterioration, and they don't know how to treat it, so you're going to die. 
Like I, I don't want to sound like a like a um, impossible burger evangelist here, Dave, but <laughs> you might you might need to move to those uh, fake burgers. So getting pretty good. I did I did have an impossible burger. It wasn't bad, but I could taste the mushrooms. Um, I really? think yeah, and I, I I really have like a visceral dislike for mushrooms, so I need to get over that. Um, well, when you come up to Northern California, I'm gonna cook you one. All right, I'm blow your blow your effing mind. <laughs> Pro- probably not, but. So Neil, what do you think the future of pandemics are, of plagues? Well, you know, the optimist in me says that there's a lot we can learn um, in the way that we've responded to uh, COVID, and we can build, you know, we, we can try to build better, better communication and response, and we can, like you said, engineer solutions which help us to avoid the worst effects of them. But the part of me that's realistic and knows human nature thinks that it's only a matter of time until we get a really bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at COVID, like, yes, terrible, mm-hmm. right? Like the amount of suffering and death and the economic losses and, and yeah, I mean, this has been terrible for the world. Um, but like you said, a 2% mortality rate is low compared to what could happen. Mm-hmm. What was the, uh, what was the, um, uh, the one that came out of the middle Middle East. Oh, um, um, it was. I forgot which. Yeah, it MRSA was, was it MRSA? MRSA, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I I want to say that one was like closer to a ten percent mortality rate. Yeah, and the first SARS was closer to ten, I mm-hmm. believe. Right. Yeah. So you you think about something like that, right? So a coronavirus that has you know five time five times the death the mortality rate of COVID, and mm-hmm. that scenario is frightening. But you know. There's that could happen any day now. And are we, or do we really have a plan? You know, I, I know that, you know, we, our leadership matters, hmm. but, you know, in a globalized society, um, especially in countries like ours, where there's a, the, the strain of individualism, which, you know, leads us to do things which are <laughs> antithetical to containing the spread of something which is bad for our communities. Yeah. Uh I don't know, man. I think I think the future I think the future is gonna be gonna be pretty rough. And I think that it, the inequality is gonna is gonna just lead to different types of responses depending on your social status. That's I think that's exactly right. I mean, we've mm-hmm. we're seeing this now in you know, the yeah. US is getting vaccinated really quickly, but the rest of the world mm-hmm. is locked in another really nasty phase of the virus because it's not getting as vaccinated as quickly. And we're being criticized for not sharing our excess vaccines, which I think yeah. makes sense. Um, you look at the J and J vaccine and the pause put on it because of the blood clots. And mm-hmm. so it's a real balance between, you know, wanting to save people from getting sick and dying from COVID and wanting to make sure that vaccines are safe. Um, I'm on the side of like, like screw the patents, get the vaccine out there, let other countries make it. Like, let's stop this thing while we can. Yeah. So the real test for, for you know, global society right now. So I think the future is going to also, we're going to have terrorist organizations using viruses for biowarfare. We need to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think a state actor would use biowarfare because it's going to inherently probably come back and will infect the whole world. But you could easily see a terrorist organization wanting to do that if they wanted to destabilize mm-hmm. world governments. And, you know, as long as we have things like smallpox still around, sitting, you know, that, that's that's something that somebody could potentially get and use for some 
mm-hmm. uh, for some sort of bio warfare. Ecological imbalance, you know, deforestation, I think, is linked to a lot of these exotic diseases coming out. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many things in the rainforest. And, you know, every time we cut that back, we're releasing more and more of this really specialized concentrated biome out into the world. You know, you look at, you look at economic development and progress and bringing people into out from poverty and um, mm-hmm. into better living conditions. And all of these things have, have a flip side to them. Mm-hmm. There's, there's um, any sort of drawback is, is, you know, it creates the conditions that allow, you know, viruses to spread more. Well, and then there's like exotic plagues, that we haven't even thought of. So there was a, a movie that came yeah. out a few years ago, directed by David Cronenberg's son called antiviral. Oh. And it's about celebrity virus sharing. So like a celebrity, so let's say like Chloe Kardashian might get the flu uh-huh. and someone would harvest some of those flu and you could pay money to be infected with the same flu that your celebrity idol had. Oh man. <laughs> Status. Yeah. And then plagues of bad information. I mean, information mm-hmm. illiteracy has become a huge threat. People just, they watch and get their news from places that are essentially echo chambers and have a political agenda and, mm-hmm. you know, it just self-reinforces. And so you have society where there's a group of people that live in a different world is they're perceiving things in such a different way because of the the bad information that they have. There's a book called The Fall by Neil Stevenson, where one of the main characters is in, uh, I can't remember the name of the town. It was like in Colorado or something. And there was a, somebody staged a fake nuclear bomb going off in that town. Mm-hmm. And obviously it didn't happen because the main character was like in the middle of town when this happened. But even after being debunked and saying, hey, this town is still there there were like people who insisted that it was like a radioactive nightmare. So if you wanted to drive out Mm -hmm. there, you'd have to pass through a roadblock of people like insisting that if you went any further, you were going to die. And then you went further and there was like, you know, a diner you could get a burger at. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So get your, get your information from many sources, read lots of books, um, try and understand the world as as much as possible and, and make sure you challenge yourself, not just to find things that agree with what you already think. Because exactly, uh, nobody's right about everything. Yeah, I think that's a smart way to live in general. Um, um, yeah, but I mean, in general, you're right. We're we're we are we have shown ourselves to be really bad at the politics of pandemic management, and that doesn't necessarily bode well for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think vaccines are kind of um, in general with we have an issue with <laughs> vaccine hesitancy and mm-hmm. and the anti-vaxxer movement, but. Looking at the way the vaccine rollout has been going over the past couple of months, um, I think has been kind of a bright spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, we almost have half of all adults in the U.S. vaccinated with at least one dose of vaccine, vaccine which is really encouraging. And you look at places yeah. like California, where we live, where the transmission rate is really low. Like, mm-hmm. Despite the fact mm-hmm. we're bad at the politics of management, we haven't locked in at this point. And yeah. I should knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Masks are definitely a good example where, um, you know, it's kind of been a, a mixed bag, mm-hmm. right? You know, obviously masks have, uh, what would, what would the scenario look like if we had not adopted masks at all mm-hmm. over the past year? Right. It's hard to prove a counterfactual, but like 
you can imagine, you know, a situation where <laughs> we're looking at a million and a half deaths, right? Yeah. Um, so you, I, I think masks have been an amazing success, but yeah. obviously they became politicized and, and that's a problem. Um, and as we touched on, I think that the in, income uh, disparities and inequality are, are leading to different outcomes for different people, depending on your social status. And yes. that's a problem. How are we going to deal with that? Or are we going to deal with that? <laughs> so so the, this podcast has gotten rather, rather somber and dark, and I'd like to leave on a bright note. So can you tell us about cytomegalovirus? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> the world is a crazy place, uh, and you learn you learn crazy things all the time. I shouldn't use the word crazy as much. I know that that is um, uh, pejorative. I, I, there's, a, there's a, yeah, it's a pejorative. <laughs> there's a better term to use. So I apologize out there. I will work to get better at that. But the world is wacky and you learn crazy wacky facts all the time. And apparently <laughs> by the age of 40, half of U.S. adults have contracted uh, cytomegalovirus. And this is a, a virus that is largely, I don't know the actual case count for people who e exhibit symptoms, but it's largely asymptomatic and it, it's really adept at evading our immune systems. And so people just live with this virus for the rest of their lives. And it's some huge uh, percentage of people that have it, like one one in three or something, right? Yeah, like worldwide. Yeah. Like it's it's crazy. There's, there was an article in The Atlantic last week about it, and it said a crazy fact, which is that by old age, like a quarter of your killer T cells are devoted to trying to identify and fight this virus. Wow. And so you think about like old people and their immune systems being weakened. Mm -hmm. Part of it is that they're just, they're, they're busy. <laughs> Get shit done. <laughs> and it's related to herpes, just as a side note. So shout out to herpes. <laughs> uh, you know what? I appreciate your herpes. You don't kill us. You just give us cold sores. <laughs> Th thank you for your service. And also um, syphilis has, has had kind of a comeback. Um, shout out to syphilis. So, so there, there's a, another, it's another series of books by Neil Stevenson. You can tell I'm a Stevenson fan, um, called the Baroque cycle. And one of the characters ends the first book. He has contracted syphilis and is going insane. And it looks like he's going to die. And when the second book starts off, he's finds himself in India and, <laughs> and I'm just sharing, this doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but it's interesting. <laughs> uh, he finds himself in India and he is, uh, allowed allowed himself to become essentially a place for mosquitoes to feed. Uh -huh. So because of their belief in reincarnation, they believe some of their relatives come back as mosquitoes. And so they'll have these people that like basically just sit there and let mosquitoes feed on them all day. Um, and he gets this really bad fever. And when he wakes up, he doesn't have syphilis anymore. So maybe Whoa. mosquitoes, like thousands of mosquito bites, that's the answer to syphilis. <laughs> i don't really know how to respond to that yeah D don't like don't it. let yourself be bit by thousands of mosquitoes i don't think that's the way to get through God, that sounds market. so annoying <laughs> that that sounds like the worst way to to live your life but one mosquito yeah. is 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 the worst yeah let alone thousands <laughs> <laughs> i mean look i want to uh, end this on a good note and i want to say that i i do think that when faced with you know the most challenging situations humans tend to adapt and succeed and mm -hmm. i think history has shown that we are we're not great at being proactive that is unfortunate but i think we're i think we are going to look we're witnessing like an incredible medical breakthrough 
-hmm. like mrna is amazing like we're living through this real world example of a medical breakthrough Mm -hmm. i think that needs to be celebrated and we should all be pumped about that and like who knows what's in store for us right so like things things are going to get challenging and there's going to be other stuff that's going to come up which is going to be a real test for our ability to you know to grow and manage this and evolve as humans and uh i think we'll i think we'll i think we'll make it i know i'm fucking yeah. pumped we're gonna give your 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 meow sensor the wor- workout we're <laughs> pumped i don't know <laughs> we're fucking yeah. pumped about mrna vaccines yeah. pumped <laughs> mrna is the shit we need to make sure we keep, we keep all this in and make you meow it all out motherfucker yeah. did you get your mrna vaccine that's just the shit <laughs> There are other cuss words. We I feel like there are like not as many cuss words we can say anymore. I know these days it's like, yeah. I mean they're they're all they're all either gendered or, you know, really directed at a at a, at a group. Um, even if the intention is not to uh, say things about that group. I mean, I'm not lamenting the fact of like not being able to say bad words I mean, anymore. It's just more that like I wish I had more variety to pull from. <laughs> so we need to invent some more. Come on, kids of America. <laughs> Get creative and email us all of your creative cuss words, please. But so we got I still don't know what the word yeet means. Like I hear kids using it and I don't know if it's a cuss word or if it's something else, but maybe you know. Does Abby use that? Uh she doesn't actively use it, but she has used it before. And from what I understand, it means like kicking or throwing something. So if I were to walk up to a baby and kick it across the room, I would have yeeted the baby. I, we're gonna. I hope. I hope that we're wrong about this, and it's actually got like this has been a ruse to like mess with the adults. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go eat some babies later. <laughs> don't eat, Dave. Don't eat the baby. <laughs> oh man. So, Dave, what are we talking about next week? Toys from childhood to adulthood. Kid toys and adult toys and future toys. Not not dildos. But Legos, things like that, <laughs> that adults can enjoy as well. So we were we were like looking through this um, site called Package Free this week, mm-hmm. and as the name would suggest, it's like a, a website where you can buy a lot of sustainable products. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emily comes running downstairs, and she's like, "They have sustainable dildos." <laughs> <laughs> the e- eco conscious in your masturbation, exactly. Hey, that's the future, baby. So we'll talk about all that and more next. Okay, week. I have another idea for a T-shirt. <laughs> and say, I don't know about you, but what I have shoved up my ass is biodegradable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking pumped about biodegradable dildos. Butt plugs. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I am Olivia Newton, John Wayne Newton's Apple. And I'm the chairman of the Steely Dan Friendship Club. Thanks for joining us on Planet of the Meerkats. Yeet. Planet of the Meerkats is produced by Neil Fries and David Garrison, and our theme music is by Tawny Frogmouth.